Steve, I want to congratulate you on being the last person that I tell this to until next year. Happy New Year, Steve. Thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. I, I, I know there's that old, uh, what is it, curb bit that's like January 7th is is too late. Or that's the last day you can say Happy New Year. What is the latest you've been told Happy New Year? Probably. Oh. It's like. Yeah, probably a like a while. Yeah, like, you know, because, you it's know. It's weird. It's yeah. weird when it happens. Yeah. No, but if it's the first time you've seen somebody for the new yeah, year and you're happy to see him, why not? There you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I we were I think I maybe told this story last year. We were at Beth, uh, Bed Bath and Beyond last year in like February, maybe even a little bit later, like mid-February. And this guy, this guy saw one of his friends and goes, Hey, happy new year, good to see you. And I was like, That it is, sir, it is February. <laughs> well, but it's the first time, right? That's that's not bad. Very so, cool. Anyways. This is Happy the, New Year to all the listeners. Yes, yes. This is the first episode of Stuff Summer Says with Steve in 2023. Uh, we've got a lot to catch up on. Uh, took some time off. You, you and I are both on vacation and just, you know, schedules couldn't work. That's all right. We're here. We're chatting now. Um, we're going to talk about Penn State's Rose Bowl win. Uh, we will also talk about some sports media stuff happening related to Penn State I think and then we will get into last night's uh, national championship game um I think that'll probably be it and then there's old guy young guy not stressful but I think it'll be a good conversation right miss the old guy young guy yeah um my immediate Rose Bowl take was this shut a lot of people up. I think this was finally Sean Clifford's signature win. Like this is what we will remember Sean Clifford for. Um, he has that key win in, in program history. Um, you know, pretty much every Penn State quarterback, whether it's a, a Trace McSorley, a Kerry Collins. What would be Matt McGloin's signature win? The Northwestern game? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. maybe, maybe not Matt McCoy. Um, but you know, a Daryl Clark or a, a Michael Robinson, those guys all had their their signature wins. Um, and and Sean Clifford finally got his. Um, James Franklin finally won a top ten AP poll game, um, basically for the second time in his coaching career at Penn State, at least. Um, I think that should shut some people up, and. I thought Mike Yurcich called probably the best game of his career. And I think it really answered a lot of question marks about, you know, the offense, and the offense congealing. And it, it really was a great, great moment for, for really everyone all around. And I think now being a week or so removed from the Rose Bowl, I think my, my takeaway is that it was a celebration of that era of Penn State and it was very much the kicking off of the next era of Penn State football. Um, and I think with an offensive line that's largely going to stay together next year, a two incredible running backs, really. Uh, 
some growing talent. I'm, I'm, that's probably me being overly optimistic about the wide receivers um, and, and a, hopefully a quarterback that is the quarterback of kind of the savior quarterback, so to speak, no pressure. Um, the <laughs> offense is figured out. Um, today we get news that Curtis Jacobs is coming back. You probably get pretty much, you know, most of your key guys back. Abdul Carter certainly is staying. I think the hands of Penn State's future are in a good spot. And I think we saw that with, with the performance in the Rose Bowl. I forget. Did we, when we talked Rose Bowl, I forget where I was, whether that was the end of one season or the beginning of another, because it feels more, I don't know what I said, but now I think it feels more like the beginning of the next one. I mean, it felt yeah. more like the beginning of the next one, even though Clifford gets to win and the celebration and the teary-eyed exit and it's his W, it, it it felt more. And even the way stuff's happened with players saying they're going to stay, blue-white game time announcement happening today, right? That it, it's going to be too, like, it just feels like there's this incremental build toward next season coming off of that. And I know it's months away from from whenever that the first snap of the will be against West Virginia, but it has a feel like it was a lead in to the next season. Um, and I did think it, it, if it didn't shut people up, it certainly pacified some people. And there's going to be some other people who are like, okay, great. You're really good. Still not elite until we win some games next year. Right. So, and, and they aren't going to be wrong. And at some point you got to win those games, but at this point, Great start to the following season. Nice bow on whatever happened. And certainly have to, everything just feels like it's pointing up, which is great. I think there are two types of bull wins. There are bull wins that the coach says propelled you into the, the, the future. And then there are bull wins that actually propel you into the future. And I think weirdly thinking about last night and, and thinking about kind of the, the, divergence in two paths in the woods type thing georgia is a perfect example of that that tax layer bull when pretty much really launched their program to the point that it's at now um and i it very much felt like that was the case or could be the case with the rose bowl win mainly because it, it just felt like so many question marks that were still lingering were finally put to bed answered and you feel like everything is in good hands going, going into the future. There've been other times when Penn state has won bowl games um, or even lost bowl games. I'm thinking like, you know, certainly the, the citrus bowl against Kentucky, like Penn state loses that game, even though they almost come back, like you felt like you were grasping at straws for the positives and, and you don't have to grasp for the straws with positives on this one. Um, I think that was, I think, when we look at it, I think that was going, that is going to be maybe by the time next year, probably one of James Franklin's because that's next year will be his 10th year. Uh, one of his most dominant wins at Penn state, if not the most dominant win at Penn state um, for him. Uh, yeah. Maybe the Auburn one was, was equally as dominant too, but I think that could, is another thing that would just shut up a lot of people. Yeah. And I, I think when you don't have to say, this launches us in the next year when you don't have to frame the results of the victory in some way yourself, that they kind of speak for themselves. That's a good thing. And yeah. I think that's, that's what happened at the Rose bowl. Penn state did, did perhaps more than it was supposed to do against a quality opponent. Um, and, and you don't, you don't have to say what it was. People can see what it was and, and see what it means. 
And now they're going to have the opportunity, off-season conditioning, spring ball, going into the next season to, to show what it was. And I think you have to feel pretty good about how they're positioned to be able to prove that. Individually in the game, um, boy, was it cool to see Nick Singleton bust that that run. That was that's now you know really three very memorable Rose Bowl moments for Penn State. I think growing up as a kid, I, I mean, I was not even one when Kajana Carter made the the run um, in, in the ninety what five Rose Bowl. But for me, like that's that's a hallmark Penn State play. The Saquon run, even though Penn State lost that that game, like. That is what people remember that Rose Bowl by. Like nobody mm-hmm. know, remembers that USC won that Rose Bowl. Everybody remem- remembers it for the Saquon run. Um, yeah. Maybe USC people remember it for the Rose Bowl, but they have so many of them that you lose track in there. Um, to see Nick Singleton do that was that was the, one of the most electrifying plays of the year um, for me. And then of course the 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 Keandre Lambert Smith um, touchdown pass was a neat moment, not because of the, I mean, the play was neat, but the, the reaction from Sean Clifford was like a a sense of relief that I think he kind of was like, okay, like we've got this game pretty much in the bag. I can actually show some emotion for the first time all year. Yeah. I think he's very self-aware, very much worrying about message brand and whatever else, obviously from what he does. And I, and I think he knew from, from the honest answers in, in the post booing games early in the season to that moment at the Rose bowl, he knew what people were feeling and experiencing. And he, he was, it, he was experiencing and feeling it too, you know? So I, I think it was, there, there was a very personal drama going on there that played out in front of a hundred thousand people or millions of people watching that just, that was kind of fun. I mean, it, it was interesting. It was what made, it's what makes sporting events interesting and entertaining and compelling. Um, and I think Penn State fans reacted in person well. Um, nationally, people understood it. And, you know, I think Clifford was very aware of what was going on. And it was, it was good to see him embrace it and, and, and enjoy it. Because I think he's, he probably earned that opportunity, earned that right. Um, do you think... Let's, let's we can get into the sports media aspect of it um since this is a ideally a sports media podcast the big story takeaway from the rose bowl this year was it was the least watched rose bowl basically of all time um yeah yeah the, the lowest of all time um only 10.1 million people watched it only i say as that was also the most watched non-playoff bowl do you think that was because of the matchup? Do you think that was because of people just being tired? Or do you think it was because the Rose Bowl, which is occasionally on January 2nd, was on January 2nd? It was all of those. Plus, it was the playoff making other bowls not as meaningful, even the Rose Bowl. Um, yeah, it was kind of the matchup. I mean, I. I no disrespect to Utah, they probably didn't help for TV ratings. And Penn State is, God, if you're still with us to this point of the podcast, I don't know that I've said this at all this season, but I, I wrote about it uh, for the Miracom. Penn State is not a is not a TV draw. Penn State 
is, you know, Penn Staters think, oh, we have this big alumni base and, and we're, they're not, they don't drive ratings like Ohio State drive rating, drives, it's just not even close. If you look at Penn State versus teams of, of a certain quality at, at relative times, whatever else, Ohio State drives numbers and draws numbers. Penn State doesn't, it has a loyal base, but they, it doesn't drive numbers. I think all those factors were part of it. Um, and I think it's just the new normal. It's the new normal except across everything except NFL football. Fewer people are watching events and we're paying more to see them. People and people are paying more rights to see them. They're still well watched compared to other stuff, but they're just not. We don't all have that shared experience like we used to. I, I we had people who are not sports fans. We were with in Florida. We were there watching it, and and the one woman was like, "Oh, the Rose Bowl. Okay, this is interesting, right?" And she knows the Rose Bowl, and I'm sure she didn't watch another bowl game the whole season. Um, so yeah, I think it's parts of all all of those things, and it, it's the new normal in a lot of ways. I think for me, like I, I wondered if like the playoffs being so good, people were just like, I want to end my college football season on that note or, or, or save my note for hopefully a good game last night, which it wasn't that. Um, right. I, I think that has something to do with it. I, I do think, I don't know if I agree with you as much that Penn state isn't a TV draw because I think they are probably maybe in the second tier of TV draws, right. so to speak. I agree. Yep. Yep. Um, but I, I follow a lot of college football and I could name two Utah players. And one of which was not playing in the game game. Right. And no, I think a that lot hurts. Of people I mean, don't even know that like, no, don't even know that Utah. I mean, I'm sure they know Utah as a football program, but you know what I'm saying? Like, right. They're not a the Pac-12 Pantheon. school. They're not a traditional, yeah. right. I mean that you're just not going to, it's great. They were excited. It's great that fans turned out in person. They are not a TV draw. Like, so for as much as Penn State is the top of the, the top of the not quite elite TV draws, Utah wasn't helping with that number either. Yeah, no. You know, that didn't at all. So I think if you get, you know, a USC or a UCLA in there, or even Oregon, Oregon I was going to say Oregon. Washington. Be, yeah, Washington, another like those kind of four pack 12 teams. Yeah, then I think the, the TV numbers would have been higher. But I also think, like I said, I also think that the 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 game being on the second this year always hurts the game. I, I would be interested to see like a, a chart of like when it's on the second, what the ratings were versus um I don't I don't know. I also like was thinking about this last night watching the, the national title game. Are there certain sporting events that should be on broadcast or you know? like broadcast television like like a fox or a cbs or an, an abc like should should the national title game maybe the rose bowl the semis um even really all the new year's six and i understand why it it, it it but like it's weird to have that level of football or that level of sporting event on kind of cable because like even i think about this with the world series or even sometimes with with the NHL, especially with the NHL now, you're pretty much locked into having to have cable to watch the games. And I, I don't think that makes as much of a difference as it used to because people, everybody's got streaming or whatever. But I don't know. I just, I feel like that's a, a little bit of a disservice to those games when even like the World Series is on an FS1. And I under, again, I understand why it's a busy time for Fox at that point in the year, but that's always kind of been disappointing. Pointing, I don't know if that's the right word. 
Yeah, no, I, the pendulum, I mean, the you know, 10 years ago, the pendulum, that's when these contracts were signed, the pendulum was to cable because cable had more money, right? It, it had the subscribers as, and the fees and it had the spy, had two different two different revenue sources and, and it was, stuff was migrating away from the networks and now it's coming back a little bit more because cable's losing subscribers, they're trying to do it. I mean, you'll see what the, the NFL games will be simulcast on ESPN and ABC, I think, and there's some other things that show up there. I'm surprised the Rose Bowl didn't fit into that category um, in terms of, of what they do a little bit. And I don't remember what else ABC had against it. I mean, cross-programmed against it, not against it, opposite it. Um, I think that'll, for some big events, it's going to come back to broadcast a little more in the next few years. They're just going to try to find ways to make, to give as much visibility to these events as possible. Kind of like the multicast. Everybody got to see the game from 16 different ways last night and there was no way in which it looked good, you know, from as from a viewing standpoint, unless you're in the state of Georgia, I, I think big events like that. And and as we get more more tonnage of games in the playoffs, I think some more are going to have to show up on on broadcast partners, you know, when they when they expand a little bit. I was just going to say the same thing. I think that is going to be the new thing when um, when the playoff expands. I I think. Um, Sports Business Journal, or maybe, or maybe the Athletic. I can't remember who wrote it. Um, said that look for Fox to jump back in. You know, is kind of one of their predictions for the year in terms of sports media things. Is look for Fox to jump back into the the playoff race in terms of having games, and that'll put pressure on ABC or right. Disney to put it put it on ABC because and even Fox will carry the weight. Even regular season for Penn State next year. I mean, realistically. On a good week, it's almost always going to be a broadcast network, right? It's going to be right. CBS at 3.30. It's going to be Fox at noon. It's going to be NBC at night. Like your, your, your number one option in all categories is going to be a broadcast network. That's not to say they aren't going to show up on FS1 or FS2 because they are. Um, but your, your first option in almost all instances is a broadcast network going forward because there is no more ESPN in terms of what, what happens with Penn State football. Well, I mean, you've got West Virginia. That will be on. I, I still think that's going to be a Sunday game on NBC at primetime. You've got the Iowa game. That will be guaranteed on a big net, one of the three big networks. I'm sure the Ohio State game will be big nooned. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the Michigan game will probably be big nooned. And that the Penn State-Michigan State game is virtually always locked into the 330 slot, and that will probably be CBS's game of the week. So there's four right. five games right there that I yeah. just rattled off that, and who knows, maybe even that Maryland game at that point in the year, if, if Penn state is what we hope Penn state is, um, they will have the draw to, to kind of warrant that game being shifted to big noon or, or one of those, those channels. Um, but yeah, I, I, the Rose Bowl numbers weren't necessarily surprising to me. I think it was funny how people kind of overreacted to the way the headlines were written. Um, there was a lot of people upset that, oh, it's the least watched Rose Bowl. Pitt fans kind of jumped in on that. But alternatively, it was the most watched bowl game of the year outside of the, outside of the playoff right. games. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, the other kind of sports media thing that we will we should discuss, um, big news. I was very surprised because I feel like they're such a good combo. Uh, Todd Blackledge is leaving... ESPN to go do the basically Saturday night football uh, on NBC makes sense since he's a big 10 guy. It always kind of annoyed me when you would flip on um, 
ESPN on a uh, or ABC, depending on uh, usually ESPN uh, on a Saturday night, and there's Todd Blackledge doing a Big Twelve game or a Pac twelve game because you just <laughs> it felt wrong. Um, and maybe I'm just saying that because he's a I'm a Penn State guy, um, and he's a Penn State guy. But uh, I think for me, that's a, a very notable um, thing. And the other thing, kind of part of that, is that Noah Eagle, uh, Ian Eagle's son who is fantastic has done the the Nickelodeon games on CBS Mm -hmm. is now going to do the play-by-play for those games. Great for him for getting that opportunity. I mean, he he's relatively young. Probably some of that is because of who his dad is, but don't want to discredit him. I do think he's done a nice job with, with that role. Yeah. And I think kudos to NBC on both counts because with their Notre Dame coverage and other things they've done, it's kind of like they just shifted the chess pieces that they already own on the board somewhere and said, okay, this will work. Or let's try Doug Flutie here or the Collinsworth kid or whatever else and just kind of move stuff around. And it never felt like they were really committed to doing something better or different. This is, we've got Noah Eagle, who's going to be one of the best young play-by-plays play guys in, in, in the business. We've got Todd Blackledge, who's clearly really good at what he does and is proven and viewers know, and we're going to invest in Saturday nights and make this something that matters. And I think if they're going to do that with the team, that excites the broadcast team, that excites me about what they may do with their production and everything else. Yeah, I, I kind of had that exact thought too. Like, oh, they're actually spending money on this. Like they, they're clearly not going to just, I felt like with Notre Dame football, they've, they've done a nice job with Notre Dame football. But that's because really nobody else has Notre Dame football, or at least the Notre Dame football home games. Nobody else is allowed to have Notre Dame football right, home games. Right. It's kind of just a default thing. Like, they're clearly going to try to make this into a thing. Um, so I'm definitely excited about that. Um, interested, like Sean McDonough is one of my favorite announcers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he does a great job on really all three of the sports that he does. He does, does hockey, baseball and, and football. Um, Todd and Sean had a good chemistry and I think, that is what makes any announcer like announcing, or if you're paying attention to that better. And so finding somebody that kind of can fill in with him, I'm anxious to see who they get. Um, I, I don't, maybe that's where they put RG three. Um, maybe, you know, I, I'm interested to see what ESPN kind of does with that. that and I think McDonough can make anybody better. Cause I think he's so good at yes. what he does. Yeah. I think he's good. Uh, it'll be interesting. And I'm sure they'll do a practice game or two between now and the fall, what, what Blackledge and Eagle do, like just how they come up, come across. But I do think Blackledge is, is smart enough and has worked with so many people, you know, through the years from, from, from Lund, Fern Lundquist to, to McDonough to, to other places to know his role. And I don't think he, I don't, I don't think he needs to manage up. I just think he's smart enough and proven enough to know how a team works, mm-hmm. a broadcast team. And he was a leader on the football field as a quarterback. Uh, I, I think he knows he's been to, to hundreds of production meetings, right? So he'll know how to work with the, the producer and director. And I'm sure Noah Eagle does too. And again, gets good advice from his father and, and other mentors and wherever else. I, I think I think they have a chance at being good out of the box in terms yeah. of a number one, as in terms of a number one team. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm not, I am much more excited to listen to them than I am Gus. I was just, I'm so glad it was you that said that and not me. Cause I was just about to say, if I had to, if I had to rank networks, top teams, I'd probably put them above. Right now. Sure. Well, like, I mean, I guess Chris and Herbie, I would always put it number one. Right. Let's go like of the, the new big the folks I'm going to hear, right. The folks you're going to hear. It's a hundred percent NBC. 
and right. probably and then probably CBS and and then and then Fox. Exactly, because I'm just not excited about hearing them. Like, I, I it almost feels like punishment. No, not as big a punishment as the game being on like FS1. Like that's the worst punishment ever for Penn State fans. <laughs> if the Tim game was Brando. on FS1, right? And you got to listen to Tim Brando and Spencer Tillman. Like you just might as well. <laughs> it's just not fair. Jump off, jump off. The exactly. Well, like, and the thing with me is like it's it's one and two, and then there's about a 14 foot drop, and then it's three. Yeah. Like I, I just, I, and they try so hard to hype everything and they're, it's going to be exciting. And it's just like, it doesn't feel sincere. It doesn't feel whatever. And, and in another couple of years, we'll just be used to the noise and we'll know that's what it is and, and be accustomed to it. So that's why we have to say now, so we can remind ourselves how bad it is. So when we know when we're accustomed to it, like this is <laughs> not good. I was, I went back and watched, um, what did I watch? I watched some sort of video about the season and like it was it had oh i know what i watched i watched the final drive from the purdue game again because i just was like i want to watch this because that was a good good moment in the season i think probably outside of the rose bowl maybe the moment of the season for me um and gus is actually like tolerable on the drive and even on the touchdown call he's great but it i if i know that to get to that point in the game i've had to listen to him scream for for two and a half almost three hours at that point about other random things that have happened well and he had bestowed a couple of nicknames on the purdue yeah. wide receiver chuck yeah. sizzle by then or whatever else and james franklin is the smartest college football coach whatever but with no proof like those are the kind of things that just stand out and you remember that like really like come on well you know? even, so, even the uh big 10 championship game this year um and it, Actually, you know what game that was bad for me this year? It was the the Holiday Bowl that, that Fox had. It was it was probably outside of the playoffs, maybe the third best, like the the mm-hmm. of all the bowl games, including the playoff, the third best game yep. that we saw. And it was like, it was like when you're eating a meal that like there's good parts in there, but the rest of it sucks. It was kind of like that, like listening to them. <laughs> This has turned into a bashing Gus Johnson. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's exciting to look forward. I think NBC and Todd Blackledge, I think it's a good move. And and I I I'm surprised on surprised on his move a little bit, but less surprised about the move than NBC's commitment, apparent commitment to what it's going to do with the broadcast, which I think is great. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good way summation of it. Um, all right. Let's get in briefly into last night's game. Um, how long did you watch did you watch the whole thing i watched the whole thing uh, okay well let me rephrase that uh we did tacos for dinner i found this delicious taco recipe our chicken marinade recipe it was like a like a lime little spicy lime mm-hmm. did those and so we we kind of did a taco bar and at halftime i was like this game is very boring so i'm gonna go upstairs to do the dishes and did all of the dishes like thoroughly enough that it it took into like the third quarter so i probably maybe only missed 20 minutes of the game okay um but apparently america america did not watch did you see this tweet from from our friend sports tv ratings i didn't but i know it was bad i just saw some headlines 8 p.m 8 p.m 20 million people were watching the game at 8 30 22 million people are watching the game at 9 p.m 20 million people are watching the game at 9.30, 15 million people are watching the game. At 10, down to 14, and then 10.45, 10 million people. They literally lost 
50% of their viewers from the from kickoff to game finish because of how bad the game was. And ultimately, not anybody's fault. Um, yeah, so we, me tuning out, but me continuously watching the game, I am I am one of those 10 million people. Did you, yeah, were you one of those? I, I say almost exactly the same. I, I watched it till the half because there wasn't much else going on. And then I'm like, oh God, this is crazy. This is stupid. Why am I being bullheaded and watching this? But so I, I might've watched 20 minutes of like some, forget if it was like a Frasier rerun or <laughs> or something else. What's the one with Charlie Sheen? The, the, uh, two and a half men. Two and a half men. Watched like an episode, half an episode of that. And I'm like, okay, I'll go back. And I went back and then Susan woke up a little bit and was like, wanted to pay attention. And she was kind of watching. And I'm like, she didn't really seem like she wanted to turn it off. So we watched it to the end. Um, yeah. I mean, so it was, it was us and, and the folks in Birmingham, Alabama, which is always the, the strongest college football market in terms of viewership who were in Atlanta, probably watching the game. And that was it. There was a part in the like third, late third quarter where I, I thought about turning it off. And then I went, this is the last college football game I get until That's late true. August. That's so true. That was my. I mean, you knew, you knew Georgia wasn't going to turn it off. And I, and, and it was finally just, it was just the difference. It was, there was something early in the game. Well, it was pregame probably. And Kurt and coach smart was talking for Georgia about, you know, team that works together and a will and teamwork. When I'm like, dude, you just have better players than they do. Like when coaches say that thing about how, how we have to have camaraderie in a family, it's easy to say that when you got the best players in the field. And this was before the game had started, right? Like I just figured they were going to win. Didn't think it was going to be this lopsided, but when they're saying stuff like that, I'm like, dude, you can say that, but your team is better than their team. Like there were a couple of those moments. Like there was something Kirby smart said, like maybe earlier in the week, even it was like, nobody thought we were going to be here or something like that. And I was like, everybody had you ranked in the top three all season long. You guys never wavered from, right. from the top three. Like, uh, yeah, no, that, no, I, I think they're going to be there next year. I was like, I mean, yeah, not to get the two, get, I mean, can you look at their schedule next year. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Like, the schedule is terrible and they get pretty much all of their key pieces back and they're just right. going to reload. So right. um, from, I thought, I thought Herbie and and Chris handled it pretty well. Like I, yep. they made it as interesting as they possibly can. I thought it was very interesting that Nick Saban was there. Like I have a I have a friend that went to Georgia. He was very pissed off that Nick Saban was yep. there on the game day panel, but he do, did a very nice job. Um, I wonder if when Saban, if Saban ever decides to retire, if they he gets the call from ESPN to sit in one of those chairs every Saturday, I could see him doing it. Um, who knows? It's Saban though. He could just be like, "I'm. I have athletic money. I'm done." Yeah, you would just. It was just nice to see him go to his lake home and not do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, with the athletic thing, right? So the two, two of the coaches that were there at certain times and together, right, with the two athletic coaches, right? I didn't think about that till now. You know, so you had that. You had that. I tried in the third quarter, maybe when I first came back, to go to the McAfee experience, and that was hard. Like I'm, I am not young enough to do that. I am not bro all of us hanging out, talking over each other young enough to, to, to enjoy that. So we, that was tough. And I went we back to the main turned broadcast. it on for roughly about five minutes, laughed, and then turned it back to the normal broadcast. And it was more right. so just to see what was going on. And I, I like Pat McAfee, you know that. Um, I didn't really have any issues with it. It was just like, I think it was like, the game was so off the rails at that point, even when we turned it on, this was in the first half that it was like, they're just 
they're just being funny because no, they're just vamping to vamp. Yeah. Well, it was interesting to see him too, uh, coat and tie, like on on the set, right? Like that was the first time this year. I think that we weren't doing the muscle shirt or the tank top and the jacket. Well, so he, so people were pissed off at him. He explained this on game day. People were pissed off at him when he did the he had his chest hair shot because that's what he always wears on his his tank top he over put over the sport coat this was for the playoff games and the next morning on game day he had like a full-on button-up no tie but a very nice jacket it was a very nice shirt and he made a specific comment about it like a lot of people yesterday were complaining about me but i decided to be more professional or whatever okay um but i i thought i thought it was it was very much one of those things. I was fine with getting that stuff from social media. Like I was, and that's yeah. Like I'm just not. It's not going to be my first view. I mean, I think he makes game day better. I think he's going to be there. Nick Saban isn't coming next year. I think McAfee's in one of those chairs, and I think he's a decent part of the show, right? Because he's got a YouTube channel that gets viewed by millions of people, and he's got social media folks doing his stuff and churning it out. They'd be crazy to step away from what he does as part of what they do. And they are so much better, God, as we as I continue to bash Fox, they are so much better than what's happening on Big Noon that don't change the recipe again, give people some familiarity and work through what you got um, and, and try to get some consistency out of it, you know, because I just don't know what that lineup's going to look like, you know, if, if, if Coach is going to be back in any role next year or yeah, not. No. Um... I think, like I said, I, I I was I was fine with it. I did turn the sky cat sky camera cast on. It was nice this year. Uh, the one sky cast that I turned on, I forget which channel it was on. They had Sean McDonough, and I didn't catch who the the like color analyst was. Um, they were doing the play by play. So so usually it was just dead silence, and you would just listen to the like the microphones on the field. Um, so that was nice. Um, those were really the only two channels that I, I dabbled around with last night. Um, again, I will say it is absolutely ridiculous that in 2023 now, uh, when the technology is available, that it is very hard to find a 4K broadcast. There was a 4K Skycam broadcast, but there mm-hmm. should be a 4K normal broadcast of the right. game. Um, and I think that's a, a missing piece. I know you're, you're probably thinking, but Darian, what can you really see the difference? I can. I think there is a there is a quality difference. When oh, I think you it. can tell. I mean, you can tell the end zone cameras like, oh, that's where yeah. Fox did it for some of them, right? It just yeah. becomes a more cinematic and it pops out. Yeah. I'll have to find Maybe we can track somebody down in the off season to talk talk about the technology piece of it and why or why not that kind of stuff happens. Like, you know, we, we talked, got a couple of post-Indiana game about pylon cams and we found out that you know pylons are like fifteen hundred bucks. Pylon cams are like fifteen hundred bucks, and that's the investment that Fox Sports One doesn't make right. per in a game that ESPN does. You know what is four K technology? What does it mean for switchers? What you know is that just something that they're just not? They don't have the bandwidth to literally or or in general to do. Yeah. So good to know. Um. So that that annoyed me, but other than that, it was a it was a clean, good broadcast. Um. I didn't have any, I didn't really have any issues with it. Um, I like the, I will say the thing that I have noticed about the playoff games specifically, I love the two sideline reporters because I feel like you get more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, 
to me, I actually enjoy sideline reporters because I do think they provide a very valuable role and they're not just there to be talking heads. Now, when they do the interviews, I hate the in-game interviews, um, but I think they, Molly McGrath and, and of course, Holly Rowe did an incredible job um, last night. Yeah, and I, th- I do think they're better when they're two. Like uh, one either is overworked and doesn't pick their spots or they just don't get utilized. It seems like with two, they're more conscious of, okay, somebody did a report. We got to hear from the other person now too. Right. Yeah. So you almost get more as a result. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely noticed that last night. Um, and I thought Holly Rose post-game interview was fantastic with Stetson Bennett. It was like kind of pretty much the first thing they cut to right after the game. Um, other than that, I, I'll be honest, after that point, I just turned the game off because I was like, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I stuck that. around for that interview. I mean, not that one in particular. That was just the first one. Stuck around for that. And then after that, I didn't jump to whichever side channel they had it on or go to my post-game coverage or even stick around when they came back to the same channel, they were doing more. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm done. It was, I saw what happened. I don't need to hear about it. I think the other thing that we didn't talk about that I love the most was the fact that the game started at 7.45 this year and not 8.20 like it has. And I was in bed. Some of that was because largely there was basically a running clock in the really the second half. That's true. I was in bed by 11.30 last night. Like, and I think the earlier start is great. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think you're getting much out of. I mean, you're not. It used to be, oh, what about the West Coast? I, I don't. West Coast TV markets don't drive college football ratings and no, viewership no. in general, so you don't have to wait up for them. Like even if no. USC were playing, it was it wouldn't drive it. So that so that half hour earlier does make a difference for some places that that matter. And in in, in this instance, the West Coast probably doesn't matter for what's going on there. So, and again, it's not going to help. It didn't help it this year just because the game itself made the ratings less relevant, but I think it was the right decision and hopefully will be something to do going forward. And I will say, I I have to say that um, hopefully, and Andy Staples had a good column kind of along these lines, and I had this thought last night, um, hopefully the playoff system gets us better games later. Like, 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 I think they got the four teams right this year. Like, I think the top four teams were in the playoff this year. But hopefully the weeding out process from it, 12 down to four, down to what, eight, and then down to, to four, and then two, will get you better games at, at every stage. You're going to have some stinkers in that first round. But I think probably in the eight, and maybe even in the eight, you'll have a couple stinkers. But four and two, those are going to be your, your, your best games. I agree with that, and and that should be the case. I think you should have those stinkers early, and I think you should have them if if they they remain committed to games on campus, right? Like, I would not be surprised if what we've been told about games on campus doesn't change somewhere along the line, and they they go to neutral sites or different sites for them just to make more money or to do whatever else not those games won't be sold out but yeah i think that's where you should weed out some of this stuff like tcu on the road at pick a team might solve some of that from happening and and realistically the the it should have been ohio state i mean it should have been ohio state instead of georgia yeah and i think for a kick probably maybe a little bit closer but i think probably that you're getting because i think that Ohio State team was probably playing the best football. Like, you know, they lost the game and then they, but I think that was probably one of their better games. They just quite literally kind of missed the kick and that was it. And yeah, I think it's the same result, probably not quite as lopsided. Um, I mean, credit to TCU for getting there, but I just think the matchups work for them at, 
and they, they, they had some magic and there's nothing wrong with some magic. Penn State has benefited from that magic at different times during the program's history and whatever else. It just, you know, the clock struck midnight for TCU, you know, about four hours earlier than midnight. And it looked that way. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's very true. All right. Are you ready for this week's old guy, young guy? I cannot wait. All right. Steve, simple question for you. What are your top three board games? Oh, okay. We were not a great board playing family. Let me, um, yeah, let me ask you that question first. Is your family a board game playing family? It depends on the time, but we were not, perhaps it was my fault. Like we weren't, we're not the most patient group in, in the world. Right. So like there was, you. yeah. So, so board games were, were hit or miss sometimes. Um, Monopoly was probably number one. I mean, in terms of what I played and what and, and the girls would put up with it and whatever else. Um, what else is over there? Sorry was good. See, sorry was a fighting game. Sorry was not a good game for two kids 11 months apart because you were sending somebody back. They didn't get their number to get out. Um, but we probably played that a lot. So that would, would probably be the second. Monopoly. Sorry. What else is in that closet? They're all in there, and there's probably some scarring memories as I think about which ones cause Pandora's box fights or not. Um, you know what? Shoots and ladders, hmm. not hot, not it, it, it's the gateway game to board games because it's easy, it's simple, it's fun. Now, there were some bum, bummers there when you hit the slide, but I, I'll go with instead of some more highbrow board game. Shoots and ladders for third is, is my entry level, the, the gateway drug of, of board games. Okay. okay. What are your three? Um, my three, and I don't know. Uh, I, I'm considering family games, like not, but not like Pictionary. Right. Well, yeah, I shut like, those out. Like Trivial Pursuit even didn't make my list as I was thinking through stuff. So, so, um, my my number three would be Yahtzee. I, I like Yahtzee. Uh, yeah, like, very yep. satisfying when you get Yahtzee. Like yep. it's 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 a great. That's a quality game. game. Love Yahtzee. Yep. Um, my number two game is Uno, but we one thing is that, that qualify I, as a board game or a card uh, game? Because see, that I, was on my list. That's sort of okay. It might be a card game, but I will say, Anna's family plays this version of Uno where you take two decks, and so. Instead of like, and you go around in a circle, but say you get, you get a blue one and you're, you're two people out of turn, but you also have a blue one. You can lay that blue one on top. And so you can kind of get out earlier. Right. Or what's funnier is there's the, the, the draw fours and it's happened maybe like three or four times of like the 10 times we've played. Yep. You can have someone like four people, separate people have the draw fours yeah. and you all lay a draw four. So somebody gets hit with a pluck plus 16. Wow. Um, and every time I nearly pee my pants from laughing. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. We, we did. We played Uno with the the five and a half year old nephew at, at, at the table at the, at the luncheon after the memorial service this weekend. So quality love game. Uno. Yeah. Love Uno. My number one game, though, I think 
is Trouble. Did you did yeah, the yep, girls yep. play Trouble? Yeah. Yep, yep. And I think it's just the satisfying pushing of the the dice. The kapunker, yes. Yeah. And, and that's the weird thing. Like, so we're on this kick now of trying to find games, like, um, at antique places or whatever, so you can get the real board games. Like, I got a Shoots and Ladders the other day, and it's it's not a real one. Like, it's just like it's the newer version, right? So the stuff's crappier and whatever else. I ordered online. And you'll have to Google this, and it and it it's a game called Basket B A S K E T. It's a basketball game with a ping pong ball that sits on a little fake court, and it has levers on the side, and two people play, and you pull the levers back, and it shoots the ball up off a little backboard and into a net. I that was it. like my cousins had that game, and it was like it felt like the coolest thing in the world, and it's the cheapest little thing. I just found one on eBay the other day and actually ordered it because I, I I like the game. I'm sure Susan will be like, what the hell do we have this thing in our house for? But it's the coolest little thing. I don't know if I've ever seen this one. Oh, no, it would have been old. It would have, it, 68 or 72 was probably its heyday, and then it, it went away. I'll have to bring it to a tailgate or something yeah. to show it to you. It's, it's, it's kind of goofy how simplistic it is, but it's also kind of mindlessly fun too because you got to pull yeah. a little thick thing back to get enough tension. But yes, well, trouble is trouble's quality. But the new, where I was going was like those new clunkers mm-hmm. don't kerplunk mm. as exactly. as satisfyingly. Okay, I'll keep yeah. that in mind. Keep that in mind. No, those um, are three good ones. Yeah. the The reason I asked this was for Christmas this year. I got your favorite game, or what I believe is your favorite game at Tailgates, which is Shut the Box. Yes, and, and we must have we must have wasted at least 20 hours on vacation, just playing, just rolling dice and playing. Shut the so, so you introduced it to some people who'd never played it before. I'm yes. I'm yeah. Guessing. They, they were kind of like, what is this? But once they started playing it, it was like, we, we would just pass it around. We just right. passing it around. Right. Um, probably the most fun. Just, it's very fun and very simple and very easy. Like you just, yep. and I've discovered the strategy is related to sevens because seven is the number that appears the most on, on, Two dice. Die. True. Yep. Um, so very good. Look at that. Yeah. So all right. cool. Good segment. And I didn't get anything wrong for a change. That's wonderful. Like those segments. Okay. Well, this has been the first episode of Stuff Summer Says with Steve this year. Um, thank you for listening. Um, let's see. We've got, I think this is going to be a good year for us, Steve. I've got some ideas bouncing around the old noggin. Um, what did Russ say the other day? Russ, Russ commented on Twitter and he said, I have the stuff that rattles around under your hat. That was the way Russ put it. So there you go. Um, I've got some stuff rattling around in the hat. Um, we have an email. It is stuff. Summer says podcast at gmail.com. We've got a podcast, which you just listened to five stars, thumbs up, all of that. Very much appreciated. Um, the, other thing is we've got Twitter handles. Uh, mine is at Stuff Summer Says. Steve's is at Steve Samsel. Other than that, uh, have a good week. Yourself. See ya. Bye.